and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to go over to Melody Lane to go watch a low shoulder show. We're going to try to fight our way through the fire that happened at Melody Lane. And then also we're going to um, try to find out why our friend like just vomited black sludge all over our kitchen floor. But anyway, besides all that, today we're going to be talking about 2009's Jennifer's Body. Now, this film for me is actually, unfortunately, it's a recent watch for me. I did not watch this when it was in the theaters. So I am a, uh, I was a teenager in the 2000s, and I was uh, 17 years old when this movie came out, actually. And I could have seen it by myself. And so I just never really, I didn't want to, I didn't go to the movies like that, really, when I was in high school like that. I, I didn't have money. Um, so, you know, I, I could just go whenever I wanted, really. But I I remember this movie for sure. I, I remember when it came out and hearing a little bit about just, you know, the reception of the movie and how maybe it wasn't so good or, or whatever it was. And but for years and years after that, of course, you know, being that I'm a horror fan and people seeming to like this movie in the horror sphere sometimes, it was always something in the back of my mind of like, one day I'll watch Jennifer's Body. Plus also I am a huge fan of Juno, the movie that Diablo Cody wrote before this. And so I was like, well, I'll I'll get around to it. I'll watch it at some point. And then finally it was on, um, it was on prime the time I watched it. And this was last year. I was like, you know what? Let me just bite the bullet and, and watch Jennifer's Body. I'm finally able to do so. And, you know, I, let me just do it. And so I finally watched this movie and I really enjoyed it. I think this movie has such a such an interesting voice to it. I think that's definitely Diablo Cody's voice, obviously, in this script. But it, it's an interesting amalgamation of, of some of her dialogue that doesn't always work. It's very, like, kind of stylized, if you will. It does kind of work in this a little bit. And also, I think the story itself is just a really fascinating story. It's a both a possession slash succubus story, which is always fun to see. You know, you don't see a ton of those. But it also, I can understand why this movie has such a... A following of of young female fans and and queer fans and and things of that sort because I I absolutely see those tones in there um, for sure and I really do think that just after watching especially some of the information that you know Megan Fox and Diablo Cody have have put out there and, you know, I made a Seyfried and, you know, all the people who are involved in this who talked about the film, you know, I I think that this movie really was a little bit of ahead of its time. I don't think it could have been understood very well in 2009 for what it was really trying to do. And also we'll get into it, but I mean, the marketing of this movie was honestly so horrible and it was so mismarketed. I mean, really. And, uh, and, and I think it's a disservice to this movie, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a fun little fun little ride for sure. But uh, as we normally do on this show, we're going to go into some figures of the movie, talk a little bit about the production history of the film as well, and then also move into a plot summary of this film. So without further ado, let's move on to those figures. So Jennifer's Body was released at TIFF on September 10th, 2009, and a wide release for the U.S. September 18th, 2009. This was directed by Karen Kusama and written by Diablo. Cody, and produced by Daniel Dubecki, Mason Novick, and Jason Reitman. 
We're looking at a $16 million estimated budget and a gross U.S. and Canada box office of $16,204,793 and a gross worldwide box office of $31,556,061. We're looking at a 46% on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes and a 35% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 5.4 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 3.5 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Megan Fox as Jennifer Check, Amanda Seyfried as Anita Needy Lesnicki, Adam Brody as Nikolai Wolf, the lead singer of Low Shoulder, Johnny Simmons as Chip Dove, J.K. Simmons as Mr. Orbleski, Amy Sedaris as Tony Lesnicki, Kyle Gallner as Colin Gray, Cynthia Stevenson as Mrs. Dove, Chris Pratt as Officer Roman Duda, Carrie Genzel as Mrs. Check, Juan Redinger as Dirk, Juno Rudell as Officer Warzak, Valerie Tian as Chastity, Amon Joel as Ahmet, Josh Emerson as Jonas Kozel, Bill Fagerbaki, Patrick Starr himself, as Jonas his dad, and Lance Henriksen as the driver near the end of the movie. Some critical response quotes about Jennifer's body are as follows. We have Jason Best from Movie Talk who states, Like an attention-seeking teenager, Jennifer's body desperately wants to be cool, but the strange shows, which is decidedly uncool. We then have Donald Clark from the Irish Times who states, The real shame is that devoid of proper context, the dialogue now really does seem as the Cody haters contend, like little more than a series of unattached, curled-lipped one-liners. And then we have Rodrigo Perez from The Playlist, who states, Tart, largely humorless, and tonally challenged, Jennifer's body is what happens when good scripts go wrong, or perhaps when directors completely miss the point of the text. So before we get into any kind of a plot summary of Jennifer's body, I just wanted to go over some production history of the film, and just talk a little bit about how it came to be. So before talking about um, the production history, we do have to talk a little bit about Diablo Cody. So Diablo Cody is a pen name for a woman by the name of Brooke uh, Mario, uh, M-A-U-R-I-O. Um, and she was, she's a lady, she's from Illinois, and pretty much what happened with her is that she started a blog after going to college, uh, where she, you know, went to college, had some um, jobs after college, but she started a blog and ended up making a a adult blog um, called The Pussy Ranch under a pen name, Diablo Cody, uh, which she apparently uh, invented while she was uh, going through Cody, Wyoming, listening to the song El Diablo by Arcadia. But on a whim, Diablo Cody, she signed up for an amateur night at a Minneapolis like strip club. And having enjoyed the experience, she decided she wanted to go and be a stripper for like a time, which is, you know, fun. And so, yeah, she went up, be- became a stripper for, you know, however long. And she then wrote a memoir called Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper. And this is actually how she got linked up with Mason Novick, who was one of the producers of this film. And he became her manager. And so this became a popular book for people. And then she was encouraged by Mason to actually write a screenplay. And within months, she wrote a little thing called Juno. And Juno was a coming-of-age story about a teenager's unplanned pregnancy and so pretty much that got optioned and got turned into a Jason Reitman directed movie with uh, Elliot Page and um, Michael Sarah for Garner and Jason Bateman. And then oopsie daisy, uh, it did up doing really well and it won her an Oscar uh, for best screenplay. And so 
pretty much after that, um, she had carte blanche to do kind of whatever she wanted, really. Um, so really, Fox Atomic at the time, they purchased the rights to this script with Megan Fox to star in the role. And Peter Rice, who at the time oversaw Fox Searchlight and Fox Atomic, uh, brought in the picture and uh, they had recently uh, just done Juno for for her as well. So it makes sense. And so they brought on Mason Novick um, and Dan Dubecki, who had worked with Cody before. Uh, and they also brought on Karen Kusama as director. And Kusama said that she signed on to the project because of the script. And she said, I was blessed to read this script at a moment where the producers were meeting with directors and it just knocked me out. It was so original, so imaginative. And she also states that that's what it was about the script and the world is that it feels like a fairy tale that's gone psycho. And I feel like that's what most fairy tales actually start as. And so they made this film, made this movie. Diablo Cody wanted to definitely pay tribute to influences of her own because she herself is a, a horror fan, you know? So she wanted to like, you know, honor like movies like The Lost Boys and other films like that. And also knowing that this is definitely going to have a feminist angle to it. So she went in knowing her and but Karen Kusama both went in knowing to this film. They knew it was supposed to be this um, feminist piece, you know? Diablo Cody has said that she wanted this film to speak to female empowerment, explore the complex relationships between best friends, um, subvert the classic horror model of women being terrorized. And Cody says the key reason for writing this film was to bring to the screen a new way of expressing the intensity of female bonds. And, like, the producers decided to have uh, this film's opening with the statement, Hell is a Teenage Girl, to reflect the horrors of puberty and the hellish emotions that you go through. So, yeah, I mean, this was definitely a particularly feminist piece that they wanted to make. So let's keep that in, let's keep that in mind, okay, when it comes to this. And also, um, Cody initially wanted this to be a very dark, very brooding movie, but as she was writing it, she realized that, you know, she couldn't help put some, you know, kind of dark sense of humor things going on in there. So they decided to do that too. Um, so yeah, let's keep in mind, this movie is very much about female empowerment, female friendship, just how t- toxic that can be sometimes and how parasitic it can be um you know girls can already be kind of horrible to each other when they want to be so and they don't just use their fists they use their minds a lot of the time so let's let's keep that in the background mind of like this is supposed to be a feminist piece and then we'll get on with it so with casting too you know they knew megan fox was to to star you know she had just been in the Transformers movies. So that was like really what people knew her from. She had just been in that. Uh, Amanda Seyfried had been doing some work as well. You know, she's known for Mean Girls mainly. And then also uh, Mamma Mia as well. But uh, they brought her in. Yeah, and and they looked at other people to to do the role of Needy. But Amanda Seyfried just worked so well. You know, but I, I don't even really think they looked for anybody else other than just Megan Fox. Because really at that time, I don't know who else would have done this role, to be honest. I mean, she just is perfect for it. Uh, and then they brought in other people. Like, so of course, you know, you brought in like J.K. Simmons, who had just been in Juno for, for that. You have like Amy Sedaris in here for a little bit, just like random, random, random. But anyway, so a little bit about the design and the effects of this movie. So this was done by, uh, Camby Effects and Moving Picture Company. So for her, um, demonic form, Jennifer's demonic form, they used all different types of techniques because they really did create like an entire head for her. Um, and, 
and you know then you put the tea fit thin you know so it all just kind of mixed together which is cool uh for the vomit scene where jennifer arrives at needy's house she says that the liquid that she was given to spit out was actually just chocolate syrup which is kind of cool. Um, and so then, and then special effects did a rig that clamps onto her ears. And also, um, again, it's just this, it's kind of cool that they did some of this practically too, especially with her demon mouth and all of that. And they wanted to try to use as least of CGI as they could, but of course they ended up using some, obviously. But they really tried to make sure to uh, particularly use some good practical effects as best they could so yeah this film you know it's really cool because like you know i think really at the end of the day when they filmed this movie so they shot shot a lot of this in canada as well right before this there was a possible writer strike so then that began um that's why they couldn't do a lot of this stuff in america they had to go to canada for a lot of it and so this is mostly done in um, vancouver and also there's a little bit in british columbia as well and yeah so i mean they filmed this movie in what 2008 it looks like and so they were doing a lot of that and then it ends up coming out the next year. And so the release of this movie, so for whatever reason, and this is just kind of how Hollywood works, I feel like, because what ended up happening was that there was this idea that because Megan Fox was just coming off of these successful movies with the Transformers series, that we had to focus on her beauty and her hotness. And also test audiences uh, weren't any better because Diablo Cody has stated before she had a test audience and they eviscerated the movie. They hated it. Uh, and that one of the feedbacks apparently she got, she still has the card for it apparently, is that one of the feedbacks that she got uh, from somebody at that test audience is, you know, what would you do? What would you change about this film? You know, make it better. And somebody literally just wrote, needs more boobs. And boobs was spelled B-E-W-B-S. And it's crazy because she even said, she's like, this is the data that was taken seriously, you know, and used to try to market this movie. And, you know, she even talks about how, like, you know, she both and Karen Kusama were just not happy with how this movie was released and how it was marketed. Diablo Cody, I remember, talks about how, like, you know, she wrote a whole email to somebody at Fox Marketing who was, you know, had a whole kind of articulate piece of just, like, here's why this is wrong and here's why all of this, like, a defense of, like, how this should be marketed and all this... And the response to her piece of just, like, what exactly do you think, like, you know, needs to be done for this film or how to market it? And the response that she got was Megan Fox hot. So, I mean, that just goes to show that, like, that's kind of how Hollywood can be, man. Like, especially when it comes to the marketing of movies and trying to to do that. It just ugh, makes no sense. I guess it makes sense because you're trying to make a buck. But at the same time, it's like, it then... I think also then hurts folks because then this movie comes out and it's targeted to teen, young teen men, which it shouldn't have been because really it should be targeted to young ladies because that is what this whole movie is about. The men are so incidental in this movie that it's just, it's not about them. And so the fact that you're targeting that because 
you have a really hot female lead, I guess. It makes no sense. Anyway, it does make sense, but this isn't a Transformers movie. You know what I mean? I also think this movie was just a little bit ahead of its time, though, just because it really shows just how how men treat women, I think, is uh, one criticism it's making and one thing it's highlighting. But then also just the relationships between girls and how intense it can be. And like I was saying, how parasitic and toxic can be as well. So, you know... You're kind of hitting on that, too. And I just don't think in 2009 people were ready to watch it, you know. And 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 I think that's why it has such a, uh, a low critic score and why it was just... It was misunderstood or just not understood wholly at all. And it wasn't until years later I think you could reappraise it now. Um, so, for example, you know, you have a... Um, in a 2022 essay on the status as a classic queer and bisexual film, uh, Carmen Maria Machado wrote that Jennifer's body speaks to, quote, what it means to experience parallel sexualities with your best friend as you punch through the last vestiges of childhood. And um, Machado rejects accusations that the film is guilty of queerbaiting, considering instead that it's an effective depiction of the central body of water that is bisexuality. And then also uh, you have Constance Grady, who reported on Vox um, in 2018, that a new critical consensus was forming that appreciated the film as a, quote, forgotten feminist classic. She states that after the Me Too movement especially highlighted routine sexual harassment and misconduct in the media industry, uh, the film's story about a group of powerful men who are sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement became very uncomfortable, uncomfortably familiar, and this, according to Grady, allowed viewers to see this movie rather than a sexual fantasy, more so as a revenge fantasy, as Jennifer is using her abused bodies against her attackers. And I also think you can make the argument of, like, this is There's also a little bit of a rape-revenge kind of narrative in here, even though there isn't explicit sexual assault or anything, necessarily, but definitely just, like, that revenge, if you will, because she is seeking revenge on this. But yeah, I I really do think, like, this was just so horribly marketed um, and mismarketed, and and it's such a disservice to this movie, and and I really just think, like, you know, it's it's that example, and I think also, we've talked about it a little bit in other episodes, but I think this is something that happens with some of these movies that end up becoming cult classics, is that some of this shit is, it's not always the studio, sometimes the movie's just not, not that good, but also I do think there is some little bit of a pattern that happens with some movies that are just horribly mishandled and that's when you then end up having something where this movie came out at a certain time it got eviscerated by people so much so that i mean diablo cody ended up not really doing a whole lot with movies anymore um she kind of went more into the tv sphere uh she's since won a tony for doing the jagged little pill book uh for the alanis morissette musical uh karen kasama you know also as well uh she didn't do a ton although she did do the invitation which is a fire movie it's so good uh from 2015 not the new invitation but anyway but even she's had kind of a nice little resurgence with yellow jackets where she was involved in in that show and she still is i think but i think this did hurt and it did hurt both of them a little bit um because you're being seen as somebody of like oh you worked on jennifer's body like you were part of that and i think even diablo cody said like you know for for a time you know this was a sore subject for her to talk about but now that she has been able to 
get this reappraisal of this movie uh, on a, a mass scale, um, she's totally fine with talking about it now. And 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 again, I think that is the kind of definition of these different cult classic movies is that when you can reappraise them for what they were at the time, and then knowing that like, oh wow, this is actually was a really good movie. Um, it's just was misunderstood when it came out, or or something like that. So. Anyway, with all that behind us, we're now going to move into a plot summary of Jennifer's body. So we begin our film with the introduction to Needy, or Anita Lisnicki, played by Amanda Seyfried. And we see her uh, find out that Needy is now in like a like mental institution, I guess, or that's where she particularly lives. And so... She has this orderly come in and, you know, says, hey, you have to go out for your, like, physical activity or whatever. And then we're introduced to the rest of this, like, mental institute. And so then we see that Needy is in the kitchen or the uh, cafeteria of this area. And she has a toastum, a good old Pop-Tart. Um, and this nutritionist comes up and talks to her about, you know, oh, you only have one toastum. And, you know, she's like, I like toastums. And so the nutritionist is trying to say, like, you know, oh, I don't think that's going to have enough nutritional value. You know, maybe you should try putting in more complex carbohydrates. And then Needy just kicks this nutritionist in the lunchroom, pretty much. And so then, because of this, because we did hear her whole voiceover before this uh, saying that she's a kicker. She also says that she gets more letters than Santa Claus, Zac Efron, and Dr. Phil combined. Um, She says, I'm kind of the shit. So anyway, we're kind of wondering, all right, so this this girl gets put into solitary confinement because she's not exactly, uh, you know, the most uh, social of people, apparently, kicking people in the chest. But how did we get here? How did we exactly get here? So then we have our intro. We move into our intro to Devil's Kettle, uh, which is a real place, apparently. Uh, I believe it's in Minnesota or something, or it's supposed to be there. And so then we actually get our real opening title sequence of the movie, uh, where we actually see the title sequence of Jennifer's body. And then we see that uh, we're coming in on a house, and then we see the backyard of this house, and we come in on our other main character of the film, Jennifer Check, who's lying in her bed watching a, like, infomercial, one of those um, infomercials for, like, a uh, elliptical machine that, like, helps with your butt. I also noticed that Jennifer has a horse in her backyard, apparently, who's just eating grass. So that's kind of fun. Uh, but anyway, we have our intro to Jennifer Check, played by Megan Fox. At this point, had been known for the Transformers movies. She'd been in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Amanda Seyfried, I think, was in her 20s or something, but she had been and Mean Girls, that was probably her biggest thing uh, up to that point, and bl- bl- plus Mamma Mia, I guess, too, but I knew her from Mean Girls. But anyway, so we see Needy looking at Jennifer through her window, just kind of menacingly. But then we find out that uh, there was a past to all this, because we find out that about two months ago, everything was just generally normal uh, in this situation. Uh, we see that there is, we go in the past, and we see that there's a pep rally going on. 
So at this pep rally, we see one of our other characters, Chip Dove, played by Johnny Simmons, who is in the marching band. He's playing the drums. And we see our girl, Needy, in the audience, who is, you know, checking out. Uh, we find out that Chip is actually her boyfriend. And we also see that Jennifer is like a cheerleader, or she's on the color guard, or whatever the fuck. And she's like twirling this flag, pretty much. So, you know, it's all nice and fun. And Needy says something about like how people can't wrap their head around, you know, why would someone like Jennifer be friends with someone like me? We're supposed to somehow believe that uh, Needy is just like unfortunate looking or ugly there's nowhere to be found but whatever anyway she says sandbox love never dies they've been friends since they were children pretty much at this point and we have all of that and then we see that jennifer comes up to needy at her locker because needy's at her locker after this pep rally where we do have a fun little cameo from uh chin from juno um and so, uh, who calls, uh, Needy says, you're totally lesbian for her. And she's like, what? She's my best friend. And then, you know, yeah, but that's Su Chen from Juno, if you don't know. She's the one who's outside the abortion clinic saying all babies want to get born. Again, Ju- Juno stand here. I love it. But anyway, so, uh, Jennifer comes up to Needy at her locker after this and, is inviting Needy out to Little Shoulder. But Needy's all like, well, I was planning to be with Chip tonight, you know, and whatever. And she's asking, so she's trying to work her way around. She's like, well, what time is the show? And she's like, it's like 8.30 or whatever. And she's like, all right, I'll I'll go, fine. So then, you know, all right, cool, whatever. Um, And then Jennifer says, oh, wear something cute, okay? So then Needy and Chip are hanging out because we see them uh, also see that they're in a relationship. Uh, But they're hanging out with each other because uh, Needy is trying to find something to wear. And so we come to find out that, you know, when Jennifer says wear something cute, it means something very specific in Jennifer speak, where it means, you know, you could show your stomach, you can't show your boobs, because boobs are her thing, you know, and you can't upstage her. Um, So you got to figure out what you can actually wear, I guess. But Needy and Chip are hanging out in um, Needy's room, and they're just like hanging out like boyfriend, girlfriend do. And so then we have that, and Chip, you can already tell, is like not really a fan of Jennifer. So like, you know, they're already not really into each other, it seems like. And Chip just thinks like, you know, why are you even friends with her? You don't have anything in common with her. And he's all like, oh, of course we have stuff in common and blah, blah, blah. But do they really? I uh, Probably not. But anyway... <laughs> But then, like, Needy has this, like, freaking psychic connection with Jennifer because she's like, oh, Jennifer's here. And then you hear Jennifer downstairs, and then he's just like, how do you do that? That's so weird. Anyway, so then Needy and Chip, they go downstairs, and Jennifer's waiting there. She's, you know, just chilling um, in the living room at this point because uh, Needy's mom actually uh, works kind of weird shifts, so she's not always there. So then Jennifer, Needy, and Chip are kind of all together because, again, Chip was hanging out with his girlfriend, but then the girlfriend goes off with her best friend. And so this is where we get the iconic line of, you know, it smells like Thai food in here. Have you guys been fucking? Although at this point, really, I don't know if they had actually fucked yet, so whatever. But who knows? Maybe someone just likes Thai food. I don't know. But Jennifer talks about how she has, like, the sea bring to herself she's got a car you know that she got for the night (laughs) the use of the term whip is very 2009 i was like okay that's cool then anyway (laughs) 
we then see like you know them leaving so needy and jennifer are leaving and chip is like right behind them and be like this is also where we get the line of you know you're just jealous because you're you know eat my ass chip you're just jealous because you're not invited and then this is where jennifer uh delivers the line of your lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself and again just like this weird um it's kind of odd like with diablo cody in particular with her her particular way of um, dialogue she does uh, at this time. But again, it, it can work up to a point. You know, you just have to know that, that there is going to be some of that in there, but it's not too bad. Anyway, we get our intro to Melody Lane, which we already kind of heard of before. Uh, Chip was talking about how it's pretty much like a bar, uh, but they call it a club. But it's a bar, literally. And anyway, so go to Melody Lane because that is where this low shoulder band is playing pretty much. And so we see that Needy and Jennifer go in there and they get X's on their hands because they're under 21. They can't drink the good old days. Uh, But anyway, so we get our intro. We also get a little director's cameo from Diablo Cody, who plays like a bartender, I guess. And you see her in there. It's kind of fun. But anyway, so then um, we have all this going on and we then have we're introduced to Roman Duda, played by Chris Pratt. And in my notes, I just say, ew, Chris Pratt. But uh, he is in this movie, and he plays uh, a recent cadet of the police academy, apparently, that we then find out that Jennifer has been hooking up with. And I have uh, thoughts and concerns, because we're to assume that Jennifer is a teenager, and I do not think Roman is either, so we'll leave it at that. That's just weird. But anyway, so we then get our introduction to Low Shoulder, who is this band that's playing here at Devil's Kettle. Uh, It is fronted by our man... Adam Brody, or Nikolai is what he's named as, but uh, Adam Brody from, like, the OC, and he has also been in other movies, he was in Ready or Not, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we then also have some of our other folks as well. Uh, we have, like, the bassist in this movie, who's played by Juan uh, Redinger, played Dirk. And so those are, like, our main two guys from the band that we see who actually get credits. I don't even really know if the other guys do. But anyway, we see that, you know, Low Shoulder's there, and they're just coming through. And so Jennifer then goes up to flirt with the lead singer of Low Shoulder, because that's the whole reason she's there that tonight, is because she's a fan of them, and she just thinks that they're, like, really super cool. So then, you know, she is doing all that, and then she goes and says, hey, you know, you want a drink? he's like well what you got and be like oh well there's this really fun like 9-11 tribute shooter but you gotta like drink it really fast and whatever otherwise turns brown and so she goes over to try to get a drink even though she's not 21 but she says she she'll play hello titty with the bartender and you know she also i think also talked about how you know boobs are like you know smart bombs like you know you point them in the right direction and shit gets real uh so you know the, the female mystique, if you will. But anyway, so then you see that Jennifer goes over and she's out of the frame and you see that the lead singer and his bassist are talking about Jennifer, but the needy overhears them because what they're talking about is like, hey, what about her? You know, and they're talking about how like she's a virgin or something or she must be a virgin or whatever, and the needy comes up to them and says, hey, that's my best friend you're talking about. And yes, she is a virgin and like all this. And so... 
you know, she's just like trying to stand up for her friend because these guys are just being guys. If you didn't already know, this whole movie is like very much about like, yo, men like suck ass, which fair. I totally get that. But anyway, so Jennifer even says like, um, cause Needy goes up and says like, you know, those guys were talking about you. They're scum. Like, fuck them. But she says that she's not a virgin. Uh, she's not even a backdoor virgin anymore. Thanks to, thanks to Roman. And, um, that that hurts and girl i get it i'm gay like yeah that shit can hurt but anyway so anyway we then get our uh introduction to the actual show uh for low shoulders so they start their set and they're playing a song called through the trees which is a banger of a song honestly um they start their set and they're like singing you know and it's like uh this fun little song or whatever But then, in my notes, I have a fucking fire starts and mayhem ensues. And pretty much what that means is that literally a fire just starts from, like, faulty wiring, apparently. And Needy is the one in a very Carrie-esque, um shot she's just seeing this fire start and then she's seeing it just go throughout the whole like fucking bar pretty much and she sees that it then turns into this huge fire. And it's just, like, crazy. We see that people are then set ablaze at this point. You know, it's just, like, really crazy. I'm not going to go through all of it. But, you know, a fire fucking starts. And people are fucking dying. Uh, People are trying to run out of the place. And they're getting trampled. Uh, You know, it's really... It's a very... um, it's a very effective scene of this. And really shows the the mayhem that's, that's actually going on. But Needy figures out how they her and Jennifer can get out pretty much. And so they go through the uh, bathroom and they escape through a window pretty much at that point. And so then they're outside. So Jennifer and needy made it outside and thankfully they are not dead. And so then we see that they're just kind of in shock. Right. And so like Jennifer's in shock and like needy's kind of in shock too. But then you see Nikolai coming up and be like, Hey, you want to go somewhere safe? Like my van? And then Nidhi's like, what are you, what? And so then, like, you know, Jennifer is all like, you know, play it cool, Nidhi, play it cool. And so then, kind of because she's in shock, I guess, like, Jennifer just goes off with the band. And Nidhi's just like, no, we we already, we drew out ourselves, like, why can't we just, like, go that way or whatever? So we see that Jennifer goes off with the band in their creepy-ass van. And so Nidhi's just like, what the fuck just happened? Like... Okay, so these, like, people all died, and I, like, narrowly escaped with my life, and then my best friend is, like, taken off by this band somewhere, and she just feels like everything's wrong right now. It's just, like, feels off, and you hear her voiceover as well, you know, hearing that, like, this doesn't feel right you know and so we're to assume that needy then walks herself home because you know jennifer's not there and she was her ride so like what the fuck so she had to walk back home i guess so needy comes home and she calls chip to talk about like what had just happened she's like you know jennifer got taken by these guys by this band like we have to go find her then she tells them like you know hey this thing happened at melody lane like you know people are fucking dead and she's just in shock too because she's like you know it was so horrible like the people who are burning smelled like this and like you know just anything where you would have this fucking tragedy happen you're watching a bunch of people die so 
Anyway, Needy is just kind of on edge, to say the least. And so then somebody is ringing at Needy's doorbell. So she's hearing the doorbell and she's like, who the fuck is this? And so then um, she goes to investigate. All right. So she's like in her room and she's like going down the stairs and she's just like looking around. She still has Chip on the phone because she's just like, okay, whatever. So she like goes and she like looks out the door because again, it was the win- uh, the doorbell. So she looks out her front door She's just like, I must be going crazy. I must just be, like, thinking. I must be imagining things. Like, you know, whatever. But in the meantime, while she is talking to Chip and she's hanging up the phone call with him, we see, like, the shadow in the background, okay? We're just like, oh, shit, something's going on. But anyway, so then Needy goes looking around. So, she, you know, she's still just, like, she still feels like something's not right. She's just like, you know, some someone's here. Something's going on. I don't know what the hell's going on. But Needy goes looking around her house. So, like, for example, she looks in, like, her downstairs closet uh, somewhere and... There's a really good shot where, like, she looks in the closet and you think someone's going to be behind the door uh, when she closes it, but it's not. And so then, looking around, looking around, she goes into the kitchen because, her, again, her mom is uh, working weird shifts. So she's gone right now, so her mom's not there. And anyway, so then Needy's in the kitchen. She turns something off. Like, I think she, like turns the sink so that it wasn't it wasn't dripping or anything like that so she turns the faucet off and then as she turns the faucet off we then see jennifer just pop up okay so she's like popped up and she's just all bloody so she's in her same um getup she was wearing already which is like a little coat and like a mini skirt and all this kind of stuff but she's just all bloody so like literally like her body is and then her face is And you just see her, and Megan Fox does such a good job at this, like, just looking fucking terrifying, because she just, like, has this bloody smile, and it's just, like, really effective, I think. And so, anyway, then, Jen decides to rummage through uh, the fridge, and she starts eating this rotisserie chicken that um, Nita's mom got from Boston Market, and she just starts eating it, and then um, what ends up happening is that we then just see Jen streak, okay? Um in an ungodly manner and then she just vomits up this black shit and it's just like really gross and it was like this weird kind of i don't even know man it was like this weird uh yeah it's like this black sludge i guess and then it like was really like kind of prickly i guess and it was cgi but like yeah i don't know i was literally like needy's just like what the fuck is going on here so then Jennifer gets a little handsy with Needy um, and, like, pushes her up against the wall. And she asks, like, are you scared? And then she's like, yeah. And then Jennifer just leaves. And so it's like, okay, cool. Anyway, so then we see what actually happened at Melody Lane. This whole fucking place burned down. And they're finding bodies here and there and, and all that stuff. So we see the actual aftermath of what happened at this place. I think all over this is like just a very uh, real, it's a really good scene, I think. Uh, it's showing the mayhem that ensued at Melody Lane. But I also think like just this. Uh, it was a very tense sequence uh, with, you know, Needy coming home and then figuring out what's going on with Jennifer because we don't know what's going on with her. We're just like, what the fuck? Why is she all bloody? What the hell? Like, why is she like shrieking? Like, what, what is this? But anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll learn more kids. But anyway, so then we have the next day at school. So we have our next day at school and Jen comes to school because you just see Needy there. She's just kind of like, you know, she's just fucking like 
despondent. I would be too, dude. But anyway, and this, um, you hear these people in class who say like, you know, oh, did you hear that Needy was at Melody Lane yesterday? I, I heard that she had to do this, this, whatever, whatever. I don't know. Just like rumors that are going around about what's actually happened. Anyway, so then Jennifer comes to school and Needy's just like, where, what the hell happened last night? Like, you looked crazy. Like, what, what the hell? And she's thinking to herself, she's like, wait a minute, like, how are you looking how are you looking the way you're looking? Because like, I know that you looked horrible last night and I was literally in my, which we then flash back to um, the night before and needy is cleaning up the kitchen floor from this you know, black shit that you just puked up on the floor. Um, anyway. So then like, yeah, like uh, needy's just like, what is going on here? Why are you here? Like what the hell? Anyway. So we actually find out what happened at Melody Lane from our uh, good old uh, biology teacher, Mr. Orblewski, played by J.K. Simmons. At this point, had been in uh, Juno, playing Juno McGuff's dad. But anyway, so he plays, and he also has a hook arm. He has a he has no he has no arm, Lieutenant Dan, and um, he has a hook for a, an arm, I guess, or a hand. And so then, anyway, so and we find out what actually happened at Melody Lane. That like these people all died. Apparently, Ahmet, the guy from India, died. Uh, Spanish teacher died, apparently, um, and a couple other students as well who had passed and everything. We find out what actually happened. Jennifer's just making like these weird snide comments of just like, yeah, it was just weird. Just getting some kind of thrill from it. I don't know. But anyway, so then, uh, after this whole exchange where good old JK Simmons is telling us what happened, we see needy walking through the halls and you just see that like, She's in, like, this haze, pretty much. She's in, like, this state where, like, she's just looking around, and so she sees, like, these people crying on the floor after this whole tragedy, and then Chip finally comes up to her, so Needy and Chip are talking about what had happened, and so Needy's all like, you know, I gotta tell you something really weird. So, like, this is what happened. Like, Jennifer came to my house last night, and she looked horrible she literally looked you know she was like bloody and she she threw up this black shit on like my kitchen floor like i don't know what's going on with her they're talking a little bit and and i don't know how supportive chip is but mm, you didn't seem that so supportive but anyway then we have our our intro actually um so after needy and chip talk with each other we have our intro to colin gray who's played by kyle gallner kyle gallner he was in um after this movie, he was in a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, we don't talk about that, but anyway. But he's also been in uh, Scream 5. He was in that movie. And he's been in other things as well. Um, good old Kyle Gallner. But he plays Colin Gray, who's like kind of this uh, 2009 emo guy, whatever the fuck. Uh, he's got like this swoop hair. And he's wearing all this like emo shit. Um, I don't know if he has trip pants on, but you know what? Listen, I mean, it would have fit, maybe. But anyway, so then we see that Colin and Needy know each other. They know each other from creative writing class. And so, you know, she says, like, he's a good author. You know, he's a good writer and whatever. So we see that they know each other. And that'll come up later in the story. But anyway, so then we see um, our character of Jonas. And so Jonas is a football player. Uh, We see that one of the other football players 
from uh, the night before had passed in the tragedy, of course. And this was like one of his best friends, really. Um, Chris was his name. So Jonas is kind of broken up about this whole thing, of course, because one of his best friends died. Um, and Jonas is played by this guy, Josh Emerson. Anyway, so Jonas is on the football field. He's just kind of standing there, not doing anything. Um, but then Jennifer in the foreground, she's like walking up to him. And she walks up to him um, to come and flirt pretty much. And she's saying how, like, Chris, you know, I saw him last night and we talked. And, you know, pretty much like, you know, his his probably his his last wish would have been that, you know, you and me get together. Like, you know, he talked about how much he'd like you liked me and whatever the hell. Right. So, like, Jennifer is just like coming up to flirt with him. And so then Jennifer decides to take Jonas because Jennifer's a pretty lady. And so she takes him into the woods, which you see these woods behind the school. And so they're there in the woods and they're uh, up against a tree and they're making out because, you know, of course you do. And so they're kissing, making out, and also getting a little sexual because we see that uh, Jennifer is at least touching below the belt and doing a little something-something. Then, you know, she gets all sexual with Jonas, which, of course, you know, like, Bang of Fox is a beautiful woman. Like, of course you would get, like aroused by it as a straight guy probably but anyway but then guess what happens she fucking kills him dude because we see all of these uh animals start to like flock around and (laughs) jonas is like i wonder what what's that all about and jennifer even says like you know they're here to watch and so literally like she says something about how like do you miss chris and he's thinking like yeah i guess he's my best friend and she says well you'll see him soon enough um, and so then we see that she literally kills Jonas, though, because she, like, scares him. She scares him, and then we see that, like, she actually becomes her her demon self, where, like, you see her fucking, like, mouth open up with, like, these fangs, and you just see that she's, like, gonna kill this bitch, pretty much. Um, and she kills him. She fucking kills this boy, and she devours him, pretty much. It's, yeah... It's really good, actually. Oh, my God. But anyway, so, yeah, she fucking kills him, dude. So then we see that we hear Jonas screaming because he's being killed. Uh, But then the biology teacher, J.K. Simmons, fucking, he hears these screams, but he doesn't do anything about it. He's just like, oh, kids. (laughs) Like, the parents are not very helpful in this movie, I don't think, always. But anyway, so, like, yeah, he just, like, hears these screams, but he doesn't think anything of it. But then he decides to actually go out into the woods and see what's up. Uh, in the meantime, we see Needy is at home making a sandwich. She's making a sandwich, and I think this is actually where we get our intro to good old Miss uh, Lisnicki, played by the one and only Amy Sedaris, uh, love, lovely woman, Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy, and at home with Amy Sedaris. But anyway, so, because again, we see that, you know, she, we see that, like, you know, some shit has gone down, uh, but Needy's making a sandwich. She hears Low Shoulder on the radio, though, with this Through the Trees song, um, and then also so, like, they're being interviewed as well um, because of this whole tragedy. And anyway, so we see that scene, and I believe we get the intro to um, her mom because she only gets, like, literally a scene. Uh, but anyway, so then Mr. Uh, Orb Lusky, he um, has gone into the woods, and he actually finds Jonas literally eviscerated uh, and a deer eating his uh, intestines. But anyway, so then um, this is also where this is where we get our intro to Needy Mom. Uh, but anyway, so 
And she's talking about how she had like this, um, she had this dream about how these bad men like took her and like did was trying to do some stuff to her but she didn't let that happen because she's a mama bear you know and all that and again it's the one scene we pretty much get with amy sedaris but then uh we see you know after that scene we see jonas's body being taken from the woods and then we just hear that you know jonas's mother and father have been you know told this so his mom is there and like wailing and crying and then his dad is there as well and his dad is played by he's a coach i guess or something um and he is played by bill uh Fagerbaki, who is most famously known as uh patrick star from spongebob and so he's been doing the voice ever since the beginning and so it's funny because he's then yelling into the ether uh about just like you know some of the balls i think um and just like how he has vengeance of the people who killed his son and so it's really funny to kind of uh listen to patrick star just like curse and do whatever i think it's hilarious but anyway so um and then uh jen goes skinny dipping uh because as you do you know and so yeah they she goes skinny dipping after her killing uh and she's looking fierce of course wonderful lovely and so she puts on her clothes again and she's like walks through the forest because you know that's what you do and anyway so we then see that jen calls needy so she's calling her and being all like you know i feel so good um and you know you should they're just talking to each other pretty much and so this is the scene where we have like you know uh, something about the mayans inventing the calendar i think it was or no uh yeah like jesus invented a calendar Actually, Jesus didn't invent the calendar. I think the Mayans actually did, technically. But uh, anyway, Jennifer doesn't know what she's talking about, but she thinks she does. But anyway, this is also where we get our iconic scene of Jennifer, like, uh, taking a lighter to her tongue. And she's, like, able to, like, heal herself, which, again, will complement the story. Anyway, you have that, and they're just talking to one another. But here's the thing, is that, like, uh, Needy has a call on the other line. And this is kind of a fun little, like, I think Mean Girls kind of throw in, because, of course, there's, like, that iconic three-way calling scene. (laughs) And so I just think it's kind of fun. But we see that Chip has called um, Needy, and they're like, hey, we need to meet up, and I want to talk to you about something. And so Needy and Chip, they decide to meet up, and so they meet up uh, in a park, uh, and Needy pretty much is... Well, Chip is talking to Needy about how, you know, Jonas uh, was found dead in these woods, and... Like, they live right near each other, so, like, you know, this is why the police are at my house and everything, and this is just fucking crazy. And Needy's thinking, like, there's no way this is a coincidence, like, so this fucking place burns down and all these people die, and then some, you know, fucking person kills, like, one of the biggest guys in school? Like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? There's gotta be something, you know, um... There's there's something up, pretty much, at this point. And then I just have my, uh in my notes, I just have Jennifer thriving. And I think what that refers to is that we see that everybody, uh, it's been about a month since the events have happened from Melody Lane and then also Jonas dying. So we're, we're going in time a little bit and we see that everyone is kind of in a weird state because you've had this tragedy go on, but no, not Jennifer. Oh no, she's thriving and she just walks down the hallway looking all great and stuff as you do after you've killed a boy. But anyway, so, then needy has a voiceover she's talking about healing and then she talks about how they were all fucking idiots because you know there's not any fucking healing happening well we'll get into that 
anyway, so we find out it's been a month after these events have happened, and it's like this weird shit of like, you know, they're back in bio class with uh, Mr. Warbluski. And so then he's talking about how, like, you know, he's talking about how Low Shoulder is giving like 3% of their album sales to Devil's Kettle uh, to help families that are in need or something like that, because we're to assume and we are to uh, kind of see that, like, Low Shoulder has become this known band now, and they've kind of, like, rode the coattails of this whole tragedy going on, and Needy even talks about that in her voiceover, but anyway, so, and Needy literally says, like, you know, she's hearing this, and she's just like, well, what about the other 97% of the money? Like, what the fuck? Like, okay. So she reads everybody, is what I have in my notes, and then you have Su Chin there, who's like, you know... uh, um, who's trying to defend Low Shoulder or whatever. Because the joke of the movie is that Low, Sh- Low Shoulder has, like, this one song, Through the Trees, uh, which you hear throughout the movie, but then also, like, they somehow just become, like, this calming presence and force for people for whatever reason, which, okay, whatever. But again, that, that gets into the whole point. But anyway, so then uh, Jennifer and Needy, they're talking with one another. This is where we have our fun line of, um, you know, are you PMSing? And then Jennifer's like, PMS isn't real, Needy. It's, you know, made up by the boy. It's made up by the male-run media to make us think that we're crazy. But they're talking to one another. And, like, (laughs) because you see that, like, Jennifer's not looking great. Okay, and she's just like, I don't mean to be rude, but like, you don't look great. <laughs> and she's like, No, I feel like boo boo. And so then, you know, Jennifer and Needy are walking through the hallway and all this. And then, um, Colin, good old Colin, comes up and he's like trying to talk to Needy and Jennifer a little bit. And then it's kind of this weird thing because like he tries to talk to Jennifer and like invite her out. So he invites her out on a date, uh, says that there's a showing of Rocky Horror, you know, at the Bijou next Saturday, you want to go. And then uh, Jennifer just says, like, I don't like boxing movies, which I appreciate um, as, like, kind of a funny little thing. But anyways, so then you have Jennifer's there. She turns down Colin, but then Needy is talking about how Colin, you know, oh, hey, he's actually a cool dude. Like, he's a good writer. And she finds some interest in him. Of course, she does have Chip. She's interested in Colin as a friend, if anything. And this kind of turns the light bulb into ne- uh, into Jennifer's brain. And she's just like, hey, Colin, wait. Like, you know, let, let, actually, yeah, let's hang out. Like, let's, let's get together. Like, come to my place. And so, yeah, Colin's all like jazzed. He's just like, all right, cool. Like, I get to like hang out with, you know, Jennifer Check. Great. So then uh, we have Needy and Chip, I think, at, Needy's locker again and they're talking with one another and they're talking about pretty much how they're um, gonna hang out tonight <laughs> he went to the stupid target and got more condoms not that he was thinking about anything but you know he was able to get more condoms apparently which is good safe sex kids but anyway so going to our next scene and we have Needy and Chip are at Chip's house and they are together and they're pretty much about to fuck where they pretty much are like kissing. They're getting, you know, a little hot and heavy and stuff and all of this. All right. But anyway, so then uh, in the meantime, you're cutting back between Needy and Chip. And then you also have Colin who's driving um, to Jennifer's house, I guess, because he got the address to her house or whatever. And he's like singing along to his um, fucking 
emo ass shit um that he's he has playing anyway so he's driving to to jennifer's house and then colin and again we're kind of going back you know back and forth but then colin uh ends up at jennifer's house and he's just like okay like what is this place i've never heard of it i've never seen this place like it looks like it's just a bunch of like under development houses kind of sort of like at whatever anyway so he goes into jennifer's house that she says that is here and this is where we have a scene of like he goes in the house he starts off on the bottom floor and then he ends up going upstairs he's like trying to find where these she he's trying to find where she is pretty much at this point and then we uh cut into this room with all these candles around and he's just like standing there and he's just like okay but then we see jennifer is behind him and like you know obviously he's talking to him and then in the meantime too we're cutting between that and chip and needy together where they're starting to have sex um so needy uh is under chip and you know they're gonna have sex missionary style anyway so then in the meantime we have that and then also we have jennifer getting with with um colin so like you know they start making out and jennifer's just like you know because even colin asks he's like do you even know my last name? Like, what what makes you like me? Like, you know? And she's just like, silly. Like, you know, I've been giving you signals all year. Um, and so, like, she... Yeah, you know, she's, like, seducing him. And she's, like, you know, doing all that. Um, and she calls uh, his hardware you know, nice ace, a nice hardware ace. Uh, which I thought was kind of funny. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. You got this going on. But then you see fucking Jennifer's eyes, like, change crazy. And even Colin's like, whoa. And so then, like, literally, something goddamn happens where pretty much, Jesus, like, Jennifer literally just, like, she overpowers Colin and she, like, breaks his arm or something like that, somehow, some way. And she even says, like, I need you scared and I need you hopeless. Um, and so then, pretty much what happens is, uh, yeah, you know, they get down to business and then uh, he gets ripped apart pretty much at this point. So then, in the meantime, again, you have this cutting back to Chip and Needy together having sex. Uh, but the needy, while she's having sex, is having just a goddamn nightmare vision. And the nightmare vision consists of blood coming out of the ceiling above her. And then also is also included with Jonas sitting in Chip's chair, I guess. And then Jennifer just looking like fucking a troll demon, you know, just like perched up next to him. And it's just like really fucking creepy. And so then, because even Chip is just like, because she's literally like freaking out and she's just like kind of just yelling and just like <gasps> you know and and then um he even says like am i hurting you and then i love the line that he gives of just like am i too big and then it's like okay girl all right calm down but anyway so um <laughs> But then, okay, back to uh, Colin getting eviscerated. But anyway, so yeah, he's getting just ripped to shreds. You don't see it happening, um, but you see this really iconic shot of literally Demon Jennifer on top of Colin just ripping him to shreds. And you see that, like, yeah, she's just pretty much biting into him. Uh, you then see the aftermath where literally, like, he has been killed. And she's just, like, dipping her hands into his, like stomach with his uh you know blood and just like drinking it you know as you do 
you know, like as if you're at the watering hole. And um and also it's really too this this is definitely like uh Megan Fox has come out and said that, you know, she uh she was already a, a thin lady anyway, but she like got down to fucking ninety seven pounds or something. And you can tell because like she when you see that you're like, damn, she is skinny. And nothing against skinny folks or whatever. Whatever, it's fine. But like damn I was like, yeah, she looks like I don't know why she got to be that thin. I don't know why if it was just a choice of hers or, or whatever, but I was just like, damn, like it adds to something because it, it just makes her seem otherworldly in a weird way. You know what I mean? I don't know. It, it just adds to her kind of being this crazy demon. I don't know. It, I, yeah, maybe I'm just going off on something, but it, whatever. It's just very interesting. And, and um, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah. I love that scene. It's just so good. It's so iconic. But anyway. Anyway, so Needy, needless to say, she runs out of Chip's house. She's fucking scared out of her wits. And so she jumps in the car, her mom's car, and she, like, drives. And she's, like, driving, driving in the night. And then she comes across Jennifer, who's, like, coming out of the fucking wood like a fucking, you know, crazy animal. And so, like, uh, then, you know, she veers to, like, not hit her. And then we see that Jennifer just jumps on the front of her car. And then, you know, Needy is just scared out of her mind. And then I have in my notes, Needy comes home and is going through it because she is. She's just crying because she's just like, oh, my God, what is going on? What is happening here? Because she doesn't know. Like, she's just like, I think my best friend was killed, but then she wasn't, apparently. But then, like, all these people are dying because we don't know about Colin yet. So, like, you know, okay, Jonas died. Now I'm having this weird nightmare vision shit. Like, what's going on here? Anyway, so then you have Needy has, like, this, like weird little dream thing but she sees we see she wakes up from her little nap that she has and anyway so she goes up to her room and like i think the lights are all off if i'm not mistaken and she just like goes up and she is looking out her window or something or she ends up on her bed and we see that jennifer is just in Needy's bed um she's just like hi and then she's like get the fuck out what are you doing here why did i just see you jump on my mom's car <laughs> like what the hell is going on here but anyway, so, yeah, so then you have that, and then you have, well, you know, I think this scene, I just have in my notes, uh, lesbians. I, I just have that. And anyway, so, uh, because this is a scene where you have Jennifer and Needy, Jennifer is, like, kissing up on Needy, and they're, like, making out a little bit, because you already can tell that, like, I think Needy is interested in Jennifer in some way. Of course, they're best friends, but like also there is this underlying tension that they have a little bit. You can't tell whether it's just like a sexual tension or something. I don't know. And then also a little later in the scene, you do hear that Jennifer does say like, you know, we can play boyfriend, girlfriend like we used to. So obviously they've done a little something, something before with each other, uh, just exploring bodies and exploring sexuality i don't know anyway uh so yeah lesbians but anyway so then uh you then have after all of that we end up finding out exactly what happened because needy's just kind of in the dark she's like what what's going on like wh- why are you what, what what's going on with you and so then jen actually spills what happened to her so she talks about how you know remember at the low shoulder show where like i left with those guys well we then see what actually happened so pretty much what happened is that these guys 
are like driving with her and they're driving out to the woods and she's just like looking around and you know she's just looking 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 and she's just like are you guys like rapists and uh, adam brody fucking nikolai he's all like you know you don't have to talk if you don't want to and then she's like okay all right and they're talking about like a virgin or something and you know are you are we even sure that she's a virgin and she's like i totally am so you need to like you should probably find somebody else who like knows how to do sex and stuff i don't know how to do anything which i thought was kind of funny because she's trying to save her own life but like she's just like i don't know anything i don't you so maybe you should get somebody who knows anyway but yeah so then what ends up happening from there is that what we find out because she talks about how these guys are pretty much agents of satan and pretty much what happens is that they've taken her out to the aforementioned uh devil's kettle which is like named after this like weird uh waterfall that is just like uh a never-ending like uh whirlpool or whatever it ends up in a never-ending whirlpool but anyway so then we see that like they're uh at the top of this like weird waterfall and what they're going to do is pretty much sacrifice somebody. They have to sacrifice a virgin because what their whole point is, is that they're trying to be a big successful band because right now they're not. Uh, we are to assume that um, Dirk and Nikolai are both working at like a coffee shop or something because Nikolai even says like, do you want to work at this place forever? I know I don't. Um, so like, you know, and they're talking about how like, it's so hard to like be like a hit indie band nowadays. We all look the same and like whatever, whatever, which I mean, fair. I was there in 2009, so I, I get it. Um, but anyway, so they're talking about how they pretty much have to, sacrifice this person and i will tell you this you can say whatever you want about megan fox and about whatever the hell you want i'm just saying she does a really good job in this scene especially because i'm like bitch i feel you on this like i feel her tears like she is begging for her life and pleading and it's fucking scary i say in my notes this scene is fucking scary because they tie her down and they're just like invoking this fucking spirit or whatever the fuck invoking the spirit or whatever the fuck but anyway so then um you have this and then um oh god and then it's like this thing of um because her name's jennifer and so we see this bowie knife that you know nikolai has and he's gonna like about to kill jennifer but then he says something about jenny and then he starts singing the song, and everyone starts singing the song eight six seven five three zero nine, because Jenny was like in there or whatever. And they start singing it, and it's just creepy because as they're singing the song, like Nikolai just starts like stabbing into her, which again is just really fucking creepy. The scene is just really fucking scary. <laughs> like I don't know about you, but like I I thought it was very effective, very very effective. So then you know yeah they stabbed her up, and then Nikolai throws the knife. Um, into the devil's kettle but it doesn't actually i think end up getting um put in the whirlpool or anything but it just ends up you know in the the where the waterfall so then we see that so low shoulder has now killed jennifer but then jennifer was able to come back um somehow some way and what we find out though is that jennifer then ends up coming to needy's house which we saw earlier today um you know in the we saw earlier in the movie. So we had that whole scene go on where, you know, she comes and she like pukes on her, you know, kitchen floor or whatever that she leaves. And so then, um, she's walking through the, the town pretty much. And she's walking through the streets and we then see that she comes across Ahmet, the kid from India. And 
she kind of looks at him and she's like, you know, does your host family know you're here? Does anybody know you're alive? Because they knew he was at the uh, Low Shoulder show. And they knew they were there, but like they didn't know, like nobody knew he was still alive, I guess. But anyway, so then we see that Jennifer, the wheels are turning in her head. And so she then is, she takes him and she takes him into the woods and we're to assume that he she kills him um we don't see it actually but this is where she starts with that because then if you remember from earlier if you remember she then comes to school the next day looking all good or whatever even though she looked like shit the night before but because she killed Ahmet and she was able to actually what we end up finding out pretty much is that from Jennifer is that every month she needs to feed because she's now a demon She's pretty much a succubus, I guess, at this point, really, because she also has to get you sexually aroused, uh, because that's what a succubus does. Like, they feed off of, they kill boys, they kill men, um, but they also uh, have sex with them, too, uh, before they kill them a lot of the time. But anyway, so then, but Jennifer talks about how, like, she does have to feed every month or so. So, like, when she's full, and she looks like this, you know, she looks good, and and then Needy's just like, what do you mean, feed? And then, you know, she, then Jennifer also shows, like, how, you know, she can, like, she can stab into herself, and then she heals. It's like some X-Men shit, right? Anyway, so then, needless to say, Jennifer and Needy just part ways, because Needy's just like, I, I don't need this, you need to leave, get out. Um, so, she leaves, you know, Jennifer leaves. And then, the next scene we have after this one is Colin's funeral. And so you have, like, Colin's little emo friends are there, and they're, like, you know, talking, um, and they're, like, you know to the void to the you know whatever and they're like being overdramatic and kind of melodramatic but then you also see colin's mom is there and she is kind of in the realest of situations because you know to her these friends of his like she like she just can't even stand them because she's just like i'm living the real terror right now like my son has just been killed and he looks like lasagna with teeth you know and so like you know i don't want to hear anything about this shit he's not in the whatever the whatever he's in an overpriced box you know about to be put six feet under she just goes for it i just yeah that seems really good and really effective um and then of course needy is, is there as well and she's just kind of watching in the distance but this is this is what happens with with grief and and all that so then you have uh, we're back in school and so we are then uh we walk past uh, so needy walks past a uh a display for whatever happened to baby jane the musical which to be honest i wouldn't be opposed to watching but i do like that baby jane the musical it's, it's kind of fun <laughs> but then we see that needy has to go do some researching because she's like all right, so all of this shit just happened, and now I have to figure out what's going on with my friend. All right, so then she's gonna go. She's going in, and she's going into the occult section of her um her library, which apparently is very small. And anyway, so Needy finds out that Jen is a demon. Really, she is looking up this book about demons and how it all works. And what she ends up finding out is that she's a demon, right? But what ends up what what happened was that what they were trying to do was that they were trying to sacrifice low shoulder was trying to sacrifice this virgin so that they could get you know notoriety and fame and whatever but because she's not actually a virgin what ended up happening is that she became a demon because you know they didn't actually sacrifice this virgin they sacrificed somebody who's not a virgin and they tried to sacrifice them to satan and then that's what ended up happening and she became like a hell demon i guess 
But anyway, so then Chip and Needy are talking about Jennifer. Uh, so Needy's talking about how, like, you know, she's evil. And she's not just, like, high school evil. She's, like, evil, evil. Chip is talking about how, like, she thinks, he thinks that she needs help. And they're talking about the winter formal. Because then Needy's all like, you know, just promise me you won't go to the dance. Like, because that's going to be, like, all-you-can-eat buffet for Jennifer. Like, she will stalk that to go and kill someone else like so don't go please you know because because chip was of course was going to take needy and so anyway so then they're talking i also like how you know <laughs> needy's all like you know i was in the occult section of the the library and then chip's like our school library has an occult section and she's like yeah it's really small but anyway so then we see that i guess there's this I think it's a spring formal, because uh, I think we're in spring now. But anyway, so we see everyone setting up for this formal, because we do start to see, uh, like, the school setting up for it um, in the gym and around the school. And then we have everyone getting ready for formal. So, like, you know, you have Chip in his little... Um, also, Chip's sister is really iconic, too. I kind of love her. But anyway, so we see that Chip is in his, like, little tux. And, like, we see that Needy is in her, like, pink outfit. Uh, very Josie Grossy of her, kind of, from Never Been Kissed a little bit. Uh, but it, she looks iconic. I, I love the way she looks. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I guess it was supposed to be, like, her mom's dress or something like that. Because her mom and her take a photo together. And um, Chip and her his sister get photos or whatever as well and then jen is getting ready for formal um you know because jen she hasn't fed in a, in a while so you know she didn't look that good i'm like okay and anyway so uh that happens and i also love this scene because i think megan fox again does a really good job in this role where uh she's putting on makeup so she's putting on this foundation she's like slathering it on her face um and i also do appreciate how she has a picture of herself uh on her vanity uh looking all good and stuff because you know what those are goals i want to have a picture like that of myself too god damn it but anyway so jen's getting ready for formal and so we then see needy is at the formal she like got herself some punch and she's just like you know vibing chilling and so chip is on his way to formal so like he's walking through the park you know to be able to get there and so we see that he's walking walking and then we see jennifer comes up behind him and she has this like really nice dress on and so jennifer picks up chip on his way to the formal um because they run into each other again their relationship is kind of just like tangential if anything because of needy but we don't see that like they're really interested in one another but here's what happens though is that jennifer decides because she's evil she decides she's gonna lie to chip about needy so she lies to him about how Needy and Colin apparently were intimate and by intimate she means they were porking on a semi-regular basis and so yeah that happened so Jennifer is lying uh, about Needy to Chip to kind of make him doubt his girlfriend obviously and we see that Jennifer kisses Chip because uh, of course she does and anyway, so then, in the meantime, while we have this scene with Chip and Jennifer, we then go back to Needy at the dance, and she's just, again, chilling, vibing. And so then we see that Low Shoulder has decided to take out of their schedule to come and see the people of Devil's Kettle, which they had called, like, Devil's Lake or whatever, because they didn't know what the hell this place was called. But anyway, so, of course, everyone's, like, so into Low Shoulder being there, but Needy's obviously, like, you know... Oh, God, are you fucking kidding me? But anyway, so then, while Low Shoulder is playing their set at the dance, uh, we see that Jennifer and Chip have gone over to this, I will call it a pool house or a pool 
place, I guess. I don't really know what this place is, honestly, but it has a pool that is not usable, but whatever, it's there. So they go over to the pool house, and so Needy apparently is getting some, like, psychic visions of some shit. I don't know. But anyway, so she gets this kind of... Because she had the same thing happen, obviously, when her and Chip were having sex when it came to Colin, right? So, like, you know, Needy, like, just senses that Chip is in danger somehow. And so what ends up happening is she runs out of the the dance. She runs, runs, runs. She's got, like, her little coat over her dress or whatever. She runs over to Chip's house. She's like trying to find her boyfriend, pretty much. So she runs to the house, and then um, Chip's mom answers. Actually, Chip's sister answers, who, again, is iconic. And so the mom's there, and she's like, well, he just went and left, like, you know, a few, you know, 15 minutes ago or something. I'd be like, well, where did he go? And he's like, oh, he, she, he always just cuts through the park. I'd be like, oh, no, I told him not to walk. Like, I told him not to walk to the dance, but, you know, whatever. So then Jennifer and Chip are in the pool house together. So we see there, we see that the pool is not usable but they're like talking back and forth and then i have in my notes uh needy slow-mo runs because she does we see that she slow-mo is running she throws her coat and she's just like running and running um because again she's sensing that something is wrong here um because she just has that that sense she has that sight if you will and so what ends up happening is that chip and jennifer so jennifer's trying to get up on chip because of course she's planning to kill him and so then she rebuffs he rebuffs her though where he's just like i can't do it like i can't do that to needy and whatever whatever so then then this uh incites a fight between jennifer and chip uh where jennifer just like throws him into the water and they're just fighting at this point we then see needy comes up to the pool house she has found these two and she finds jennifer just eating chip she's like he's just uh so she's like biting on his neck and like trying to suck out blood and all that um in my notes i do have that needy and jen battle um so like you know they're fighting one another because needy's just over it at this point and she's just like she's gonna try to fight for her man so she is fighting her in the water she ends up being able to kind of um to overpower jen a little bit but then jen ends up hovering levitating or whatever um she ends up levitating above the pool and so needy is there to save chip and i love this scene where uh chip is like she can fly and (laughs) needy's like she's just hovering it's not that impressive and then jennifer's just like god do you have to mind undermine everything that i do like you're such a player hater and then needy's all like you're a jerk and she's like, wow, sick burn, Hannah Montana, or whatever she says. Um, do you have any other, you know, zingers? Uh, but no, she doesn't say all that. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, Needy and Jen, they just shit talk one another, you know? And, um, like, Needy talks about how, like, uh, Jennifer needed laxatives to stay skinny. And, like, you know, they're just shit talking one another, as you sometimes do when you're a girl and you have a friend. That happens sometimes. But anyway, so we see that Needy and Jen, like, they already were fighting anyway, and now they're just talking shit with one another, and literally, um, we see that Jennifer is like, you know, I will rip your soul out, and I'll shit it out, Liz Nikki, and so she, like, comes up on her, but then we see that Chip actually stabs Jennifer in, like, the um, abdomen, I guess, with, like, this pool cleaner thing. It's like big, long, like metal rod or whatever. And so then, uh, 
so yeah, Jen gets stabbed and she says like, you know, do you have a tampon? Thought you were a plug-in, you know? And so then uh, Jen just jumps away. So she like leaves and she just jumps out the window as she is to do. She did do that earlier uh, when she left Needy's house that one time. She just like jumped out the window as you do. Um, anyway, so then Needy is uh, comforting Chip as he is dying. And you have their nice little back and forth that they have. And, you know, they say that they love the to each other. They love each other. And it's just, like, really nice. You know, it, it's kind of nice. I mean, Chip as a character is... <laughs> he's not the best boyfriend, un- unfortunately. But, I mean, you know, he does seem to like Needy in some way. Which I, I get. But, yeah, he's dead. He dies. And anyway, so then uh, Needy comes home in her dress at home. And she's just, like, laying in her bed. She's just, like, in her dress. She's all dirty and, you know, looking gross, kind of, because she was just fighting in this dirty pool. And, oh, God, it was bad. But then, you know what? Needy decides, like, all right, enough playing around. So Needy then suits up. She, like, you know... (laughs) She puts her little hoodie on that uh, we saw earlier. So again, we're go- we're now back to, I guess, at this point, we're now back to Needy, uh, you know, outside of Jen's home, and she pays her a visit. Um, so, like, Jen is in her bed, and she's, like, watching TV or whatever. And pretty much what happens is that uh, Needy just, like, literally flies through, bitch in style, just flies through Jennifer's window, and they just start, like, fighting um, at this point, because... Needy has already done her research about how you kill a demon and you have to kill it by stabbing it in the heart. And so Needy is fighting Jennifer. So she has like a box cutter. This is where we get the line of, um, do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. You know, it's just like really good. But anyway, so they're fighting. They're kind of levitating off of her bed or whatever, because that's what Jennifer can do. But then Needy kills Jennifer by stabbing her in the heart. Because that's how she had to kill her. And so I like the line here where she stabs her. And then Jennifer says, you know, my tit. And then Nee's just like, no, your heart. And so she like kills her. And so you see Jennifer die. Finally, she's finally been vanquished. But we do see that Jennifer, I think, actually bit Needy during their, their fight. So then, you know, all of this commotion has then roused uh, Jennifer's mother to come and check on her daughter. And then she finds Needy killing Jennifer and literally had killed her. And what pretty much happens is that we see that uh, Needy, after that, is then sent away to the aforementioned mental institution from the beginning of the movie. So then we are back to, and we're closing up on the end of the movie at this point, we are back with Needy in solitary confinement. And, well, needless to say, we find out that uh, once you're bitten by a demon, you get some of those powers a little bit. And we see that she has some demon powers, y'all. And so she's literally, like, doing a meditation. She's levitating on off of the floor, like in the midair, um, looking out the little window that they have uh, in solitary confinement. Anyway, so then uh, I have in my notes, uh, she's levitating, and then what ends up happening is that she kicks out, because she's a kicker, she kicks out the window of her little solitary confinement area, and she then uh, blows this popsicle stand at this point, really. So she leaves because she's fucking, you know, indestructible, kind of, sort of. And anyway, so then um, 
Needy is walking along and she uh, ends up somehow, she goes over to Devil's Kettle, the waterfall, and she actually found the Bowie knife from Low Shoulder from earlier. And so um, she finds that and she takes it. She then has a good old cameo for Lance Henriksen, you know, from um, Pet Cemetery and other movies as well. She's the driver at the end. And she talks about how she is, um, where can I take you, little lady? She'd be like, oh, just west. You know, I'm going to Madison. And he's like, oh, what, what brings you out there? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm following this band and whatever. And he says something about like he says something about the band or whatever he's like, oh this she's like oh this will be their last show and so then um <laughs> we see that this is actually the end of our movie kind of sort of so we see that they drive off and then you see like directed by karen kasama but then in the meantime you also see that like low shoulder is in like their hotel room and they're like doing little bips and bops here and there they're like doing coke or whatever the hell. And, you know, they're just, like, being rock stars. But, oh, oh, don't you worry, because um, we see that it is... You don't see the actual evisceration or, or murder, but you see that uh, Needy pretty much comes and kills the members of Low Shoulder uh, with the same Bowie knife they used to kill Jennifer. Um, and, yeah, they, they just get killed the fuck up pretty much at this point. And then we see during the end credits sequence of these different crime scene photos of these people being killed pretty much. And so then we then have uh, like the security footage where we end on where we have all of these fans running into uh, the low shoulders room or whatever somehow. And then they find this like horrible like murder scene. And then we just see while... The fans are running to the room. We see that Needy is um, walking away in a hoodie and like she just looks right at like the security camera or whatever. And then we have our actual end credits sequence of the actual end credits of the movie. And then that's the end of Jennifer's Body. So needless to say with this movie, um, I really do enjoy Jennifer's Body. I've given it a four out of five on Letterboxd. And I... I still stand by it. I still think this is a really fun movie. I think there's actually scary parts in here. Um, you know, overall, it is a horror comedy, I guess. You know, it's a satire in there somewhere. But I, you know, I I really like the amalgamation of everything that's being done here. And also just, yeah, it's, it's such a unique story to me. Um, and... I like the fact of having a, a succubus story that is very highly feminist and has these undertones and also just overtones, really. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think it's a great movie, and I think any any horror fan should should watch this. You know, I, I think it's absolutely worth a watch, uh, even if you don't like it. You know, I, I just think. Um, it's something where I think Karen Kasama did a really good job of directing. I think Diablo Cody, uh, depending on how you think of her writing, I guess, like it, it'll, your, <laughs> your mileage may vary, I guess, but you know, I, I didn't mind it really. And I, I just think it's something where it's a unique story that I thought was just not exactly wholly understood at the time. And, um, also, I think it was just mismarketed because of just the misogyny and the patriarchy. But anyway, um, yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, definitely a, a high recommend for sure. Right now, at least, you can watch it on 
HBO Max. That's where I watched it. And you can also watch the extended cut. That's what I based on my um, pod off of today. Um, the theatrical cut is a little bit different, uh, you know, but really they're generally the same story. There are certain things that are changed over, but, you know, um, I think the extended cut is probably the best cut, personally, but, you know, do what you want. Uh, but it also makes its way on Prime sometimes. Uh, that's where I watched it the first time I watched it. Um, and part of me wants to own this movie in some way. Maybe I'll get around to, to buying that, finally, you know, and, and biting the bullet. But, uh, yeah, I would definitely give a recommend to this. I think if you haven't watched it in a minute, you know, maybe give it a revisit and, and see what you think. Uh, maybe if you watched it before and it's been a minute you, since you watched it, definitely watch it again. And if it's, and if you've never watched it before, please do. I mean, I think you, you're not going to find another story quite like it, I feel like. And, uh, I think also it's helped, uh, people in the horror genre too. I think it's maybe influenced some people as well and, and shown that uh, female writers and directors can really kick some ass when it comes to, it comes to this, this filmmaking and, and really making a film that I, I think stands up on its own. So for sure, but definitely give it a watch for sure. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cult cinema circle at gmail.com. If you'd like to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd just like to say, Hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at cult cinema circle and on Twitter at cult cinema circle. I tend to announce the movies that I'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On that platform, I tend to log the movies that I watch, I write little stupid reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1988's Heathers. A girl who half-heartedly tries to be part of the in-crowd of her school meets a rebel who teaches her a more devious way to play social politics by killing the popular kids. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, you're lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself. Take care. Bye. Bye.